In your Bibles tonight, we would invite you to turn to Psalm 91. I know the bulletin indicates Psalm 92. No doubt that's my error and not the bulletin secretary's error, but we're actually going to be reading Psalm 91, and the words of our text are taken from Psalm 91, verse 2. So we read together Psalm 91. Hear now together the reading of the Word of God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Uh, Thus far this evening, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is that well-known passage of the Apostle Paul uh, where he comments on all that is against the Christian He speaks of sword, he speaks of tribulation, he speaks even of death. Uh, And then he switches gears, you might say, and he gives that wonderful proclamation of the certainty of victory. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You might say that's an apt summary uh, of Psalm 91. The the description there, if if you allow your mind to follow the picture that is painted by the words, uh, the picture might be similar to a military scene, a battlefield even. Perhaps you can see it in your mind's eye. There are a thousand falling at our side, even ten thousand at our right hand. There is terror by night, verse 5. There are arrows that fly by day. Uh, Verse 6, there is the reality of pestilences. There is even the destruction that lays waste at noonday. You might say the the context, the picture, uh, is not a pleasant picture, but it's a realistic picture. Uh, Because life, life as is lived here underneath the sun, uh, is not always rosy. Oftentimes, it is difficult. And yet, it is this psalm that depicts being more than conquerors. Even though all of these things happen, even though there is the arrows that fly, and there are the thousands that 
fall at our side. And even though there are pestilences of various forms and uh, that there are various attacks of perilous times, yet the psalmist says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Indeed, it is true that the Christian is more than a conqueror. And we want to consider that theme this evening for our own encouragement as we reflect upon the public profession of faith uh, of Kelsey, but also as we all reflect upon our own personal professions of faith uh, by using this theme, a profession of faith in the Lord. We'll notice, first of all, the nature of this profession, and then secondly, the object of this profession, and then thirdly, the benefit of this profession. So in the midst of this context of spiritual warfare, there is this certain confident cry of the profession of faith. And we'll notice the nature of the object and the benefit of this profession. Uh, first of all, notice something of the nature of this profession. It is a personal profession. Uh, now, I don't want to contradict what we said this morning. This morning we said that the gospel uh, is about he and not me and not we And yet we do properly note that there must be the personal appropriation of the gospel. And so the psalmist says, I will say of the Lord. He's not not dealing here, beloved, with theology in the abstract. He's not sitting back just contemplating uh, something of theology, but he's expressing the reality of a personal faith. I will say. And that's why we have the opportunity, and you might even say the responsibility when we come to the years of discernment, when we come to the years of maturity, uh, even though perhaps it's somewhat intimidating to stand before the congregation of God's people and in the presence of God Himself to give a personal profession of faith. But this is why we insist upon such a personal profession of faith, because faith must be personal. And so also with the words of our assurance uh, from Romans uh, 10, verse 9 and 10, with one's individual mouth and with one's individual heart, there must be this profession of faith uh, concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, no one, no one will enter into heaven by just blending in with the masses of the Christian community. You know, there'd be, there'd be times perhaps when, when, you're, when you're young, and I know school's been let out, boys and girls, and you can be thankful for that. It's summertime, but I can remember back when I was in school, and I wasn't, I have to confess, I wasn't the best student. I hope you are better students than I was. So there'd, there'd be times that it would be recess time, but back then, and I don't know if it's still the same today, in order to be able to go out for recess, you had to have all of your homework done. All of your assignments for the morning had to be done. Well, sadly, mine weren't always done. So what I would try to do is just slip past the teacher with all the other students. You know, all, all the good students who had all of their homework done and in the proper, wherever they had to go, the proper slots and the files, and I would just kind of sneak alongside of them and hope that the teacher would be too busy or too distracted to notice. Well, that would work quite a bit of the time. But no one's going to slip into heaven 
by just following the masses. You know, a person can even hide themselves within the congregation and go through all of the motions and the activities of the congregation. But that will not pass the muster of the final judgment. There must be a personal profession of faith. And that's why our hearts are so glad to hear our sister come forth and personally, with her mouth and with her heart, profess that she believes these things. The psalmist says, I will say of the Lord. And my question is whether you say of the Lord, whether you as an individual person Maybe as a child, and and maybe you don't know everything about the Lord, but you know Jesus Christ, and you know He was born, and He died to save sinners. Do you say of Him, I will put my trust in Him? Maybe you are an aged saint, and as you experience the infirmities of your elderly years, and as eternity, humanly speaking, draws closer... May I lovingly ask you tonight, do you say these words, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my trust. It's not only personal, but it's also verbal. I will say. Uh, And this here also ties in with so many other passages of Scripture that call for the mouth to express the reality of the heart. Because the the heart, and and here now, of course, we're not talking about the, the physical organ of our heart that pumps and continues to circulate blood throughout our circulatory system, Uh, but rather we're speaking about the spiritual heart, the soul of a person. But just as the physical heart is at the center of the body, you might say, uh, pumping and giving life to all of the other extremities of the human body, so also spiritually the heart or the soul is the very center of a person's existence. It is there It is there where the Holy Spirit works regeneration, gives the new birth, uh, transforms a person's inclinations. And so it is there that one believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, certainly the, the mind is involved, but it's even deeper than the mind. It's the very heart of a person. But how do we know what is in the heart? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, He says that from out of the heart comes forth the, the expressions of mankind. And that's why Jesus Christ says in Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven." And so Jesus, in essence, is saying, what is in your heart must become verbally known in the presence of men, and then you professing me before men, I will profess you before my Father in my interceding work, that when you have faith as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit, when you exercise that faith in my redemptive work, that I am your interceding high priest in the presence of the Father. You can think also uh, of the words uh, that Jesus Christ, or rather that Paul uh, mentions in the words that we've read for our text of pardon in Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. 
not just with the mind, but with the heart. One believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so a personal word, but by extension also a corporate word. Kelsey, your heart has spoken tonight. Through your mouth. And all of us who have made profession of faith, our hearts speak through our mouth. And our hearts through our mouths say, I will trust in the Lord. If that's true, then hear the exhortation of Proverbs 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. Continue steadfastly in this profession that we have made with our heart. The nature of this profession is a personal verbal profession. But we want to consider more specifically the object in our second point of this profession. Uh, Much is said in our day, and we want to be clear on this, much is said about faith uh, very abstractly, very generically. Uh, So you'll hear people talk about keeping the faith or, or not losing the faith, and it would seem that everybody has faith in something, and maybe have faith in the ability to have faith. But the Christian faith is different in its object. And in our text, we have two things, especially about the object of faith. First and foremost, it is the covenant Lord. Notice what the psalmist does not say, I have faith in myself. You know, that's the cry of secular humanism that seems to be so prevalent in our society. Just believe in yourself. Well, the psalmist understands, being a child of God, that that's no answer for the complexities and the trials and the adversities of physical life and spiritual life. He doesn't say, I will say of myself, I am my own refuge. He says, very specifically, I will say of the Lord. And I just want to focus in this evening, first of all, on that name that the Lord God gives Himself. It is the covenantal name. It is Yahweh, and it's a rich, rich word. It reveals to us that God is who He is, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that He is the great unchangeable one. And that already begins to reveal why He is such a basis for confidence and strength when we find our reliance in Him. We change, our lives change, circumstances change, culture changes. The world is in a constant state of flux. But God, the Lord, the covenant Lord, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not only does this name that the Lord God gives Himself express the reality that He is the unchangeable one, but also the fact that He binds Himself to His people. It It expresses the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. So God, by giving himself this name, he's saying to us, I am who I am, and I will be that which I have promised to be. Your God. Your Lord. The covenant God says, I will be 
your God. Yesterday, today, and forevermore. And on a very practical note, I would submit to you that this is the basis for Christian confidence as we experience what goes on in this world. I meet people time and time again, Christian people, Reformed people, and they say, well, you know, we watch the news and it seems that this world is absolutely out of control and we just don't know what to do. They're characterized by anxieties, by fears, by sadness, by disappointment, by distress. And on one hand, I get it. But on the other hand, I don't get it. I say on the one hand because, yes, if you just look at all of these circumstances, it would seem that all is lost. But the Lord God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And He has promised that He will be that which He has said He would be, our Lord God. And that He would provide, and that He would protect. And so when we make this profession of faith, and we make it together uh, on Sundays corporately, I believe in God the Father. What I beg you is the very next word that we say, Almighty. I believe that my Heavenly Father is Almighty God. And those two go together. He is Almighty God, but He is my Heavenly Father. So there's an emphasis upon His sovereign transcendence, but also upon His gracious eminence. And you might say a, a parallelism is that when the psalmist says, I will say of the Lord, that ties with the Father. I will say of my Father. In Him I trust. Now it goes on there, you'll notice, and not only a covenant Lord, but also a majestic God, because the name God is used. And here we have a different name that God gives Himself. In the end of verse 2, so you see there, I will say of the Lord, that's Yahweh, that's emphasizing the unchangeable nature of the one only true God and His covenantal promise to His people. My God in Him I will trust. God is the word Elohim, and it emphasizes the uniqueness of God. That God is the one and only God. The one and only supreme, majestic, eternal being in contrast to all of the idol gods of the nations and the idol gods uh, that we also are tempted often to fabricate within our own hearts and with our own lives. Because on the one hand, are, are there many gods? The answer is no, there's only one God. And, and yet there are the fabrications of many gods, of false gods, of many idols. And in, of course, the Old Testament times and in the New Testament times, this often took the appearance of stone or of wooden images. Other types of materials being hammered uh, into objects of filial fear and service. Uh, now, you might say, well, humanity has progressed and maybe we don't hammer our gods out of bronze or wood. Uh, but make no mistake about it, we have our gods. 
And, and I, I think that perhaps the greatest idol that we need to be warned about is our own affluency, our own material prosperity. Just note with me how anxious some people get when they see the stock market turn into a negative downward trend. Just step back and observe the unparalleled prosperity that we have experienced in the last 50 years, 100 years. Are our families closer to the Lord God because of that than our forefathers were? I don't think we are. We bow. We bow before the material possessions that the Lord has given us. In part, and perhaps we go too far, examine these things according to Scripture, in part the reason during the summer that the lake is busier than the church is because of idolatry. I don't know any other way to see it. Because we seek our pleasure. Because we seek our fulfillment in ourselves. But the psalmist recognizes there is one object of worship. One object of service. One object in which he trusts and it's not himself. And it's not even his family. It's his God. My God. Notice that that's the personal claim of faith. My God. In Him I will trust. And so the object of our faith, and of course this is the Trinitarian God, the covenant the Lord, the one, only, almighty, infinite being of God Himself. And that, both in our personal lives and in our congregational life, always has to be kept at the center of everything that we do. And so the psalmist gives his personal verbal profession of faith in the covenant Lord and the majestic God, and this brings great benefit, and we consider that in our third point. The benefit also is described in our text. I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. There's the benefit. Uh, that the person who trusts in the covenant Lord God has a refuge. Uh, what, what is a refuge? The word indicates a, a safe shelter from protection. And, and no doubt the context of the psalm, again, the context of the psalm shows the need for a protection. Uh, the psalmist here is not just sitting on you know, the quiet hillside experiencing uh, an idle, lazy day, so to speak. Uh, there's mention, again, as we summarize this, the snare of the fowler. There's perilous pestilence. Uh, there's terror that comes by night. There's the arrow that flies by day. Uh, there's destruction at noonday. Uh, there's thousands and tens of thousands that are falling. So there's this need for refuge. And, and think in our own life. You can begin to just consider the, the physical aspects uh, of our life. Uh, there's disease. Uh, there's death. 
Uh, there's the complications that can come within our relationships. But then if you look even deeper, spiritually speaking, we have our enemies, do we not? Uh, there are those things that, that tempt us. And, of course, Satan uh, is the great enemy. Uh, I, I scarce believe that we are fully aware of the danger that we would be in, but for the grace of God and the providential refuge that we have in Him. So refuge has this idea of a safe shelter from protection, and it points out then, uh, again, our own helplessness. Uh, you know, maybe uh, for the young, the young guys, you know, you, you, you watch a, a sporting event, and, you know, the star player, you know, he, maybe it's basketball, and, and he has just a monster dunk over the defender, and he flexes his arms, and he beats his chest, and he exalts himself. The psalmist would have none of that. And sometimes I'm afraid in Reformed churches, there are people who flex their arms at their knowledge of the Reformed faith, and they beat their chest, and they say, well, I'm not an Arminian, I'm a Reformed Christian. Very well, may I ask you, do you find your refuge in the covenant Lord God and in Him alone? We dare not take refuge in the fact that we can polemically assault the Arminian. For what will that accomplish on the great day of days? My refuge, says the psalmist, in which I take all of my spiritual protection is in the Lord God. There is a refuge, and it's a sure and it is a safe refuge and it was found by many 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 a person but i think this evening of the individual who found refuge on the side of the crucified christ the repentant thief and refuge was found as he recognized something of the covenant lord god and he just express the reality of the faith of his heart through the profession of his mouth. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you know something of that same seeking of refuge? Lord, remember me. In him I will trust. He is my refuge and my fortress. Now, now of course, uh, we don't have fortresses today like they had in the Bible times. We don't even have fortresses today like you might have experienced when the frontier was being settled. You know, if you go back and uh, you could even trace the history of the state of Iowa uh, and the forts that were at different critical junctions, uh, and, and people would... Uh, build their homes around the fort because in the fort there was protection from enemies. And certainly we have a fortress. And in just a moment we're going to sing about that fortress. And I just want to be clear in closing that the fortress is nothing other than our covenant Lord God and the salvation that He has provided for all who call upon Him the forgiveness of sins, and the everlasting life. 
So it's a wonderful privilege again this evening to proclaim to you there is a fortress. And every single person who enters into that fortress by way of a heart that believes and a mouth that confesses will be saved. There's no fear of that fortress being destroyed. You know, that would often happen historically. You know, everybody would run into the fortress, but then the enemy, well, they just shoot flaming arrows into the fortress, or they just build a battering ram and run the fortress over. Or perhaps they'd lay siege around the fortress and slowly starve the inhabitants in the fortress. There's no question of that ever happening with this fortress because the fortress is none other than the covenant Lord God, the Almighty One who has said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So if you make it into the fortress by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and by the exercise of faith, there is the certainty you will be saved. But you have to be in the fortress. You can't be close to the fortress. You can't just know some things about the fortress. You can't just have someone inside the fortress. I mean, imagine an attack coming from an enemy. And you're outside the fortress, but you say to the enemy as they align their weaponry at your person, you say, oh, don't shoot, I know someone in the fortress. Or don't shoot, I'm close to the fortress. You have to be in the fortress by faith. And so if anyone hears these words and you're outside the fortress, do not harden your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But remember Lot's wife. So close to salvation and yet so far away. Jesus himself says, remember Lot's wife. What did she do? I mean, she left the city. If you allow your imagination to go, you can see her making her way across the plain. If you're watching from a distance, you say, oh, this looks good for her. She's escaped. She looked back. She looked back in part out of a love of the affluency of the city. She looked back. Don't look back. Run. Run with all the spiritual energy that your soul can muster. Run in the way of faith. Run in the way of repentance. Run fixing your eyes upon the author and the finisher of your faith, Jesus Christ, the one and only mediator. And you will be saved. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is a refuge and a sure place of rest in which we can find safety for our souls, both for today and for eternity. 
in our covenant Lord and in our majestic God. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless these words, that we might be encouraged in our exercise of faith, that we might have eyes that focus upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.